You're listening to Now You've Seen It, the podcast that endeavors to fill the holes in your essential movie viewing. Here's your host, Gregor Sprague. Hello and welcome to Now You've Seen It. This is the, the show on the Oracle Media Productions where we bring on a guest, we uh, have a little bit of a chat about a movie. Um, I am Gregor Sprague, if you didn't know by the intro that is done beforehand or from my lovely voice. And I am joined today by my panelist, Dan Serwin. Think I got that right? Did I, it did is, I get that? just like the last time. You are, uh, you're like 100% on that, Gregor. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is correct. I am Dan. Yes. And joining me is a very special guest. I might have said this about the other guests, but I mean this so much more with Daryl because Daryl is the former host of Who Knew and Review over on Galactic Netcast. Uh, for the guy who is listening to him at his work, uh, the, for, uh, the former host of Sci-Fi Survival Guide, it is one Daryl Johnson. Daryl, how are you? Very well. That was a very, very nice intro, and I don't know how much that's going to cost me, but uh, it's in the post. <laughs> <laughs> uh it costs you coming on the else nerds in the future whenever we get that fully going again absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh but yeah so uh on the show and i'm gonna preface this by saying i uh, essentially we're taking the piss to use a british term here when we because now you've seen it we know that there are many movies that you have not seen we do not say this in a mocking manner we all have our blind spots and and we're just doing our best to fill them up but for this blind spot, we are really going to pick on it because this is a movie that takes place in his neck of the woods uh, in jolly old England in a fictionalized version. Uh, this is the movie V for Vendetta. So uh, before we get talking about the movie, uh, Daryl, can you explain explain yourself as to why this is a uh, th- why you skip this movie? That's that is really easy. Um, I'm a massive Alan Moore fan. Yeah, um, I had a feeling that was going to be the answer. He's an absolute legend one of the nicest guys in comic books that you could ever wish for and one of one of the cleverest writer minds so when alan moore says my things aren't for the big screen i listen to him and yet okay i saw watchman and you know cinematically i quite liked it but i yeah. hated every single bloody minute of it as well so with that <laughs> in mind i was just like i'm familiar with v for vendetta I, I read it when I was at school, so that is why. And I, I, I even own a copy of it, um, so that that is why I, I, I wow. haven't watched it. Yeah, yeah. I actually took the cellophane off a DVD to watch this. Yeah, uh, no, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's honestly understandable. And um, cheap plug right now. We'll be uh, Elsnerds whenever Beatmaster gets that episode up. Our comeback. We are talking about an Alan Moore related thing. So there are plenty. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but yeah, so stay tuned for that. There will be links to out on all the social media stuff. But hold that thought. We will be right back after this ad. Do you like podcasts? Of course you do. You're listening to one right now. Are you a fan of retro video games? Are you a fan of listening to a bunch of weirdos complain about great games from our past? Well, We've got the show for you. It's called Games My Mom Found. We are a retro video game podcast where each week we grab a different guest and dive into a game. Some are great, some not so much. We'd love for you to take a listen and join our hilarious antics. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Probably the same place you found the amazing show you're currently listening to. We'd love for you to tune in to Games My Mom Found. New episodes up every Monday. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. It's gonna be a blowout town at Parliament. 
Bring the kids. Get a free mask. Overthrow a fascist regime. Agent Smith, Elrond. Twas his intent, moreover, to avenge his losses with Jane Foster. The people will be hurt and fried. Norsefire's power is going to die. From the siblings that brought us the Matrix trilogy and the director of Ninja Assassin. Wait, that was a movie? An elf lord and a space queen struggle against a wand merchant's regime. James McTeague's V for Vendetta. All right, and we are back. And like I said, the movie we are talking about is V for Vendetta. This is the uh, 2016 dystopian political thriller action film that is directed by James McTeague and written by the Wachowskis. I did not know that part. I will start off right there. Also, 2006, not 16. Yes, Yes. sorry. That is a case of my brain seeing one thing and my mouth saying another. (laughs) You are correct. 2006. Um, It is, uh, like I said, directed by James McTeague, uh, written by the Wachowskis. Uh, It is based on, like Daryl hit on before. Uh, v for Vendetta by uh, David Lloyd and Alan Moore. Um, it, and yeah, it had a budget of $54 million and it made in its box office $132.5 million. So well made, uh, all of its money back. Um, yeah, so let's just jump right into this. Uh, Daryl, as the person who has the love for Alan Moore, no offense to Dan, but I, I know you said that, Daryl, you said this is your. You're, you're an Alan Moore guy. Uh, I, I'm assuming you, uh, or yeah, you did say you read, you read the comic. How does this compare to the comic for you? Comic books, you can pick up, you can read, yeah, you can put it down, you can pick it up, you can misread, misunderstand, go back a few mm-hmm. pages, read it. Films, you can't. And a comic book is not an assault on the senses, but films are. So um, it's the film compares relatively well with the comic book it's the same story there's a few things missing from it but it's you know i don't know what i'm trying to get at but it doesn't compare to the comic book at all (laughs) fair enough fair enough And, and to be honest there are just to stick on the alan moore side of things uh like there are a lot of his properties that are like that um when dc did their animated uh version of the killing joke they hit the main the main beats but they changed some stuff in there um so i personally i always when when stuff like that i'm never upset when they change things now if they change things if, if they changed changed things because I, I haven't read uh the comic you um, should it's very good i hear that a lot with a lot of comics but then i was counter with i have on average about 30 comics that i read a week and that list never really seems to go down because they're always releasing newer uh, new books and i'm like oh let's check this out that's really good um i have a problem is what i'm getting at <laughs> um, but i so forgot the point i was making uh you were talking about how they changed um killing oh, yeah, joke yeah. that they changed this yeah so like with changing it a little bit that makes sense because it then hits uh more of the uh people who like you know like me i would have i will have seen the the movie before reading the comic book preacher it was like it was the same way like season one of preacher uh i had seen that and then i have uh the first volume of preacher that i read and i could see the differences um it's it's sort of the same thing with reading a book you know like the harry potter franchise uh you know it's the book is always going to explain and expand upon more things than can be in the movie because i mean even if you take the first book which i think is the shortest by page number um and by content if you were to do every single thing in there for a movie, I think you would still have a two-part movie. 
so then you 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 go further and further on in there the last the last I, I, book yeah go I ahead get i get that no one wants no one wants to sit in the cinema for an hour numbing like six seven hours whilst mm. every tiny little thing is explained yeah but but in a in a story sometimes those tiny little things which would you know seem insignificant on a big screen are really really crucial to the the, the narrative of a book and I, I agree you can't put all books on the screen like for like you can't do that yeah they didn't yeah. do that with any of the marvel stuff yeah they you simply can't do it and you know i think i think that's that's evident i'm i must admit i watched this film without any biased or well with only the the slight confirmational bias that i've, I've built in but i still yeah. sat down and and watched the film and i didn't start writing notes of no it should have been done like that and oh where's that bit and, uh, because that's not how you watch a film. A film's meant to be in enjoyment. It's just like a comic book's meant to be enjoyment. It's a different kind yeah. of enjoyment. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's And that's where I, for a lot of things, even, gosh, people always, I, I've, I have, I've had people ask me in the past, what are movies that you don't like? What are books that you don't like? And it's hard because one, I can only think of one movie that I didn't, that I didn't enjoy. Could also be the time and place that I had seen it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and it was Master and Commander, and I was in high school. You know, it was on DVD, and I I remember, you know, because where I worked, they had a, a DVD section that you could, and they they allowed me to get uh, free rentals. And so you know, I'm like, okay, here, let's check this out. You know, no one else is, you know, saying that they want it. So here, I'll do it and go home, watch it, bring it back the next day. I remember like 15 minutes, and I'm like, why am I watching this? And you know, I brought it back the next day. It, now, you know, some what 15 ish years later. I probably would enjoy a master and commander. Um, you know, on that same time with, with this, when it first came out, you know, back in 2006, I'm not going to say how old I was because it'll make Daryl really, really upset, <laughs> but I will say I graduated high school the next year. Um, the, uh, you know, this was more in my wheelhouse at the time you know, when mm -hmm. I saw it. Cause I remember seeing it. I don't, I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it, um, actually at, during that same job. Um, as a you know watching the dvd and yeah i enjoyed it i mean it was i had heard stuff before with like you know how Nat natalie portman committed to having her her haircut you look at it now like yes it still was a big deal because you know they shaved her head for it but now it's like other people just do it you know it quickly became a style choice um and i for the, even if it was with seeing uh you know that hugo weaving's in there I wouldn't have guessed that Hugo Weaving was uh, was Guy Fox, you know, at all. Um, it it does. I mean, you've got to put a name on a title character to get people to sit down and yeah, it but fucks the it, whole character though. But it it does, and it and it is an absolute waste because mm -hmm. you you never see them and you never actually hear him. He's not doing Hugo Weaving's voice. He's yeah, doing the and that's that why he sounds like, which is which is good. And don't get me wrong, yeah, uh, I, I like the way that they play with the sound in that respect. But you could have you could have cast me in that role. I'd have done it. Yeah, although, <laughs> well, although, although V V's probably not a northerner like I am, so you know maybe I couldn't. <laughs> but but that's the thing, right? Then the thing you you point out about you have to have a name, right? Fuck, look at the rest of the cast of this film, like. That's what it was one of the reasons I went and saw it uh, was like, you know, Natalie Portman in 2006 or 2005 when she was announced, whatever. And, you know, Hugo Weaving, that was a lot of draw. But like for me personally, um, 
you know, Stephen Ray was a great draw. Uh, Stephen Fry is fantastic. I mean, I would have seen literally anything with John Hurt at that point in his career. Um, Tim Pigott Smith, I'm a fan of as well. Uh, a lot of great television for him. And I grew up watching a lot of old, not old, but oldish British television um, on PBS here in the States. Uh, so I knew him and it was just like, what, what a cast. Yeah. John, John Hurt. Yeah. He could read you the phone book and you'd be absorbed into it. He mm-hmm. is, his presence is absolutely goddamn amazing. And, uh-huh. and he was, you know, in this, he, he really, he really embodied it really nicely. It's terrifying. Know, yeah. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. So here's here's the biggest thing. As coming to this at the time when this came out, I knew of British TV stuff, but it wasn't. You know, I was probably three, four years before I truly dove in. You know, and became an Anglophile. I could see why they brought in Hugo Weaving because Natalie Portman. You could almost say this was her role to break away from uh the Queen Amidala type casting, uh, Sergio, because she had you know two years before was star wars episode three um so you could sort of see that stephen fry to a lot of american audiences and even john hurt to that degree wouldn't have been that recognizable it depends the john i'm gonna fight you on the john hurt i'll take i'll take the other one i'm gonna fight you on the john hurt one (laughs) simply because of alien true but i mean and and i'll give you that one but it's still it's gonna be it would it would have been very tricky on i'm I'm also i'm also gonna question uh, a little bit the uh like the natalie portman of it just because like yeah you know star wars was what really broke her out but um there there's a group of us who saw uh the professional or leon depending on where in the world you saw it uh in the 90s who will never forget her as matilda and there's an entirely other group of people our age gregor who saw Garden State and fell in love with her in a way they will never be in love with a real woman who actually exists in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I will give you that as well. But this screamed more like, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Star Wars to that point would have been her big break. Yes. And, and, and yeah, Star Wars definitely would have been the biggest thing. And, you know, th- this, was a, this was a little darker than anything she'd done since The Professional. And it was... Um, a more challenging role. I mean, like, look, they're <laughs> disregarding the fact that in the book, Evie is a 16 year old, uh, who we meet in the first book, trying to sell herself for sex because she has no money. Um, disregarding that part, it's still a very, very involved character. Uh, it's very deep and there's, you know, psychological torture aspect, uh, the, that V puts her through. And, you know, there's, having to have your entire worldview basically broken and reformed uh, over the course of the film. That's a lot. And that's definitely something where there are actresses who would have been of her equivalent caliber at that point who probably wouldn't have been able to pull it off. So it it is definitely, this is one of those things I like to look at it as she probably saw it as a challenge as well. Yeah. And as, as a way to definitely be like, yeah, Hey, Star Wars fanboys. I'm not just your fucking princess and, you know, whatever. Well, and it's, I mean, you could probably even say that with Hugo Weaving, too. Um, because at this point, I mean, it would have been, you know, a lot of, because a lot of actors I know do this, where they will get in a role, get, you know, start getting sort of typecast 
And it's like, okay, hold on, let, let's expand upon this. You know, I, uh, a lot of my examples are comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, like Robin Williams, you know, he would do a few comedy movies and he would do a drama. You know, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey would do, a, you know, some comedy movies and he would do a, a good drama, you know, to show his range, but then to expand upon, you know, really to expand upon what, and, and sort of destroy what people think, think of them for. So do we think maybe this was Hugo Weaving, like trying to shake off Elrond and Agent Smith as like, I'm not just either this crazy rogue robot program or uh, Elfman. I think that's where the problem is, because you never see Hugo Weaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you know? Yeah. Which, do you know which scenes were Hugo Weaving and which scenes were Hugo Weaving stunt double? Well, and not even Hugo Weaving stunt double. It would have been... Uh, oh, be absolutely bloody anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but then... That is the point of the bloody yes. film. I was just going to say, that's the point of the character. Yeah, if you're going to watch a film, yeah, that has got these big names in it, unless it's a Disney Pixar film, you expect to see that person. Yeah. And that that's, that is the thing that, that struck me the most, yeah? Because it, it really, he could have had a bad day one day and sent his mate in and gone, oh, you don't have to do anything because we'll dub the voice later on. Yeah, it's a simple scene. You just dress up in this and go and do it for us. <laughs> well, well as, as I think, as I think Gregor was probably about to point out, there are scenes in the film that are the physicality of James Purefoy, who shot for like two months on the film, and uh, they four weeks, four weeks. Okay, they didn't yep. reshoot. He just redubbed. Yeah, he, he dubbed uh, over. He dubbed over their, uh, you know, James Purefoy's uh, lines. And but you know, both you guys are right in there because I, you know, I'm looking in here and they say on. Oh, the stunt double for V, um, you know, uh, Chad Stahelski, I'm butchering that name, literally walked through fire, you know, wearing just a yep. you know, special fire-resistant gel and a G-string is what the thing on IMDb yeah. says here. So, I mean, yeah, it's, and I mean, you, you, both of you guys are right. So it's like, and that's where I feel like, you know, looking back at it now and, and tying this to other movies, you, I mean, you, you get Hugo Weaving, like, even in um, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, you know, where he's playing Red Skull, you see that because of some of the, because it's, he's in makeup, like you see the facial features, like, okay, yes, that's Hugo Weaving. But then it leads to this other great thing with, um, with, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Red Skull in Infinity War and Endgame, where it still looks like him. And I would have thought it was him until I'd seen reports afterwards that it was Ross Marquardt. I actually, in that film, uh, you know, I actually thought it was him until the credits. Yeah. Just like, whoa, ever feel like you've been lied to? Yeah, you know, no, I exactly. Mean, I'm going to I'm gonna just uh, bring this up here because I guess I wasn't paying attention. I'm literally just learning this information right now. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and, uh, so for, and if you don't know and the people who don't know, uh, Ross Marquardt plays Aaron um, off of The Walking Dead. He also has on his YouTube uh, channel... He has uh, a video series that he did before The Walking Dead where he would do impressions of people, Hugo Weaving being one of them. Well, I mean, if you're going <laughs> to hire somebody to replace somebody, you probably want to hire an impressionist who does an impression of them. Yeah. Uh, at, and least, at least we know if they recast the film V and, you know, go for it again, at least we know they've got someone lined up for V. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But it's so, uh, so uh, Dan, what, was your, what, were your, what were your thoughts on the movie here? So... My relationship with this film is, like my relationship with most films, pretty complicated. Um, I saw this movie when it came out, spring of my freshman year of college. 
uh, when I was in college, freshman year specifically, I made friends with a ton of filmmakers. I could not go see a movie and enjoy it that year because <laughs> I'd have all those dickheads in the back of my mind the whole time talking, you know, film major nonsense, film criticism, everything else. Uh, I had read my senior year of high school. I had read uh, most of the first um, year of books, the first, like uh, however many uh, comics there were um, for V for Vendetta and absolutely loved it. I was blown away. Uh, you know, it was very that like, you know, angry young man, like, oh, the whole world's full of fascists and bullshit and everything else. And boy, 15 years ago, Dan, you had no idea what was coming. But uh, so when this came out, I was like, yeah, absolutely going to see it. And I went and saw it and I loved it. I mean, absolutely ate up. Had problems, as have been mentioned, with what was different between the book and the, and the film. But I absolutely ate it up. And I walked out ready to defend this film to hell against those uh, film majors. And we walked out, and I was just like, so, what, what did we think? And my closest friend of the film majors was just like, I loved it. And I was just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, oh, oh, thank God. Because I did too. And yeah. I think I probably watch it about oh, once every three or four years in the intervening 14 years. Um, so I think I've probably seen it four or five times at this point, all told. And it, it, it holds up, and there is stuff that, you know is still very challenging and you know the scenes the scenes that always stick out to me are the scenes when she's at uh dietrich's house and you know going through all of the forbidden stuff that he has and, and everything else and just like that as a uh cisgendered predominantly heterosexual white male in america i so do not understand what it must be like to go through life as any sort of minority and to get that view, even, you know, in that part, and I think Stephen Fry played it amazingly. I've been a fan of Stephen Fry for a very long time. Um, like I said, I grew up watching a lot of British comedy and PBS and stuff like that. My dad was big into Monty Python, uh, and that drew me into a bit of Fry and Laurie. And, um, you know, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie were huge comedic pillars for me as, like, a teenager. And to see him in this, you know, very serious role and... Uh, you know, to see him being, you know, brutalized for being who he was, was, uh, that was a lot. I think it, it was more impactful to me because of who it was playing the role than I think it would have been if they'd cast even like a, you know, better, for lack of a better term, a better actor or more, you know, talented performer or whatever else in that role, just because I knew who this was, you know? I agree with you. Um, to some degree, because uh, a brilliant bit of casting. Um, mm -hmm. Stephen Fry is a serious actor as well as a comedic actor. And most people don't see that because they either see him as the host of QI or they, you know, they, they, they like you've alluded to, uh, but Fry and Laurie and things like that. But no, he's a, he's a serious actor, but he's also a serious actor who's a past. Mm -hmm. He's able to bring these things to the table because he has had a past, because he is a... He is a gay man, and he, you know, because of his age, he has witnessed terrible things, you know, to the gay communities. He's also been a criminal as well. He was convicted for credit card, credit card fraud. Um, so, you know, he's a wily one. So he's got a lot of experience that he can really push into a role like. And it, it has to be said, um, he is so British, so very, <laughs> so very British. And there was a scene actually which which cheered me up immensely. And that is when he was making Eggy in the Basket. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's so, that scene, that's so insignificant because it's 
bloody breakfast, isn't it? It's a fried egg inside a bit of fried bread. It's so insignificant. But if you wanted something British on screen, by God, you've got it. <laughs> Although, Dan, uh, I will say, Dan, I'm disappointed. You missed the opportunity for a pun. What you should have said, you oh yeah. What you should have said is not defend it uh, to hell. Yeah, you should have you should have put the uh, uh, the other Alan Moore uh, novel in there and defended it from hell. There we go. That's a good point. I, I will I will concede the point. Very pun uh, pun opportunity there. But yeah, I, and and I agree that um, he he does feel so very British and just like he. It was weird to hear you say that because I've always felt again. As an American, I've I've been to the UK all of twice for a total of five days, um, all in London and Bath and surrounding the first time. So I don't have a great deal of experience culturally. I always had a feeling maybe he was playing it up for this, but now confirmed actual British person has said no. He's just that's the British. Uh, um, the film itself was very British, mm-hmm. and and yeah, you, I mean you can't get away from it. It's a film about you know in london but it incredibly british and it did have a british a british feel there's one scene that didn't and i, I will i will not i'm not going to reveal that yet but it, it was there's one thing which made me cross angry to the point that i had to pause the video and go and make myself a cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> you had to go get just a little bit more secure in your get ready to come back i'm thinking right now well i'm thinking right now of the professor element Professor Elemental song. I'm British. <laughs> can't can't say that enough. That one. Sorry. It's oh no, it's it's fine. He's a he's a, a nerdcore rapper, okay. uh, but he he reps in if he's not British himself, he reps in a British accent. And he just has a song where, like, I'm picturing Daryl just standing up and just you know making his tea and just being like, I'm British. Are you what about the gentleman rapper? Uh, I don't. I, I've heard of gentleman rapper. All right, because yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know. He's very British. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be said, Stephen Fry's character was the only one I felt sorry for in all of uh, all of the film. Yeah, you also you yeah. also said a, you also said a good thing, Dan, um, that you you go back to it and it still stands up. And mm-hmm. I, I I will admit, I mean, you remember the original graphic novel was nineteen eighty two. Uh huh. Yeah, that's when all of this idea has come about. And now I I played it just the other week and watched it. And that's the one thing that, that you know, it, I, mean, I, actually, I actually went back to the graphic novel to read it just to go, God, you know, Alan Moore is a visionary because it, it was so, so apparent, so, so much of today in that film. You know, bear in mind, I, I, I watched it at the start of the, the, uh, the coronavirus epidemic, no pandemic, <laughs> yeah, which actually just helped. It helped because we've got all this media churning away in the background, spewing news into our lives through every bloody thing we touch, TV, internet, phone. And that that made it, made it better. That made the film better. I think if you actually released this film today, it would do better. Mm-hmm. I no, agree. It, it feels it, necessary. No, it's, and that's an interesting part because or, or thing that you bring up, because I would almost be afraid it, it it would it would work if the right person was doing it um you know from the writers to the director um you know even to the cast because i think of that movie that uh is trying to make its way out into theaters uh called the hunt um where if if you don't know what that movie is it is a um it, it is supposed to be a satirical film about 
I think it's uh you know a uh, conservative elitist hunting or maybe I got it backwards. Hold on. Um, no, I believe I believe you're right. I believe it's supposed to be like uh, conservatives, basically uh, American, you know, uh, white conservatives hunting other people. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the I saw the trailer on YouTube as an unskippable ad a few months ago, and uh-huh. honestly thought they were taking the piss. I really did. I was yeah. just like, "You've got to be kidding! This is not a film that you can make now, even as a comedy." Yeah, like, it is. that's too too close to home. The trailer yeah, of that film actually reminds me of the Black Mirror um, episode. It's White Bear. Yeah, you know, and I shocking, yes, but that let's be honest. That's all it seems to be is shocking. This V for Vendetta has a real message rather mm-hmm. than just shocking for shocking's sake. I well, they I only always... I only say I only say that because it's you know it's sort of you, you look at again you, you would look at who would be the ones writing and directing it because if it was done today, um, and this could almost sort of lead into you know one of our uh, a choice of segments here, but it, because you would you would have to have the right person who would who would understand the political undertones um you know with this and not just be like well let's let's just go so far into left field or right field you know from what people are expect excuse me are expecting yeah i think the thing that that helps this film in particular set the mood is the first scenes of because pretty much everyone has heard of you know 1984 and the start of this film is 1984 on steroids yeah and and then it taps in nicely to you know sort of smatterings of fake news or what we call fake news now rather than rather than call it propaganda we now call it fake news yeah. but that that's what that's what helps this film right in the beginning because it it sets you it sits you on your ass and it sits you and goes this and i think that would work for a film like this i think done properly it would work for a film set in any country around the world because the uk usa they're not unique circumstances. We only know more about each other because of how how news and forwards. But it's the same. Bet your life, it's the same in Mexico, same in Canada, same in Ireland. Yeah, same over in Europe. Yeah, same all over Russia. Um, I, I think you know the the grounding of a film like, and it is you know a fantasy. But I think the grounding of it can be done and will be done over and over again. In all the languages. The the saddest thing about it, and you alluded to it earlier, was that. Alan Moore wrote this in 1982, predicting his hope that Mrs. Thatcher wouldn't, you know, ruin the country. And then in 2006, the film was made. And now in 2020, we're here talking about it. And a lot of the same overtures and the things that Alan Moore was worried about damn near 40 years ago have either come to pass or never stopped happening. You know, we we as a society have come miles overall but there are certain things that we still haven't beaten and there are certain people in power who will do whatever they can to both hold on to power and to keep people from challenging their power and the message that portion of the message of this film you know disregarding for a moment the portion of the message of this film about hey don't uh don't um experiment on human beings um, but the the other message of this story, I'm mad that it still has to be relevant. I think was the the biggest takeaway I had from watching it uh, this most recent time. I'm mad that the story is still relevant. I'm mad that it's still timely. I have that. Sa- I I agree with you completely because I have that same thought with watching uh with watching the newsroom. Um, which mm-hmm. you know you know like I I think I watched it last time was like what 
three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, and even then, when, when the newsroom came out, it was setting itself like four years prior to when it was releasing. You know, so it was covering recent news events and how this CNN, you know, Fox type uh, news conglomeration would handle the news and then sort of become the news later on. And, and it's like, I rewatch this stuff and I go, you know, and you even see it with like uh, D- David Harbour had posted about what he thinks uh, his character in there w- would be talking about right now with the whole coronavirus outbreak. And, yeah. and, and it makes me go, and even with that, with a show that I loved, you know, like I love the newsroom. I think it is great. And it's, I agree with you completely. It's like, you know, you think about this again, a comic book that was written in 82, you know, seven years before I was born. Sorry. Sorry, Daryl. I had to do it one time. <laughs> Um, you know, about, about that time, but yet still being timeless. And, you know, it honestly reminds me of the uh, saying, uh, those who fail history are doomed to repeat it uh-huh. or, you know, fail to understand history are doomed to repeat it. And it's like, I think we're doing that right now. And Hey, look, this is still relevant. So, uh, uh you guys got any final thoughts on this before I, we go to our host choice segment? Uh, honestly, I think I'm going to close with, cause the more I, the talking about it and the more i've realized how timely it really is i'm going to recommend and i don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you haven't but if you haven't seen the film read the read the book talk to a friend who had please i implore you to do it because this a lot of the global problems we are having now have parallels here learn from the lessons that we've tried to teach. Nope. I, th- I think i will i will piggyback off of that with a show that i watch uh, in the UK, from the UK, called The Last Leg, uh, the host on there, Adam Hills, he has this saying that he used in the past, and I've sort of adopted it like a personal mantra, and it's very simple. Don't be a dick. Um, you know, it's to echo what you're what you were saying there, Dan. Um, you know, I mean, here we're talking about a movie that was re- made, you know, what, 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago, about a book that was made almost 40 years ago, and how it's still relevant today. It's like here we can, you know, we can change, we can change the world if we want to. Uh, Daryl, what's your f- sort of final thoughts on the movie? Um, I'll be honest, I did enjoy watching all the wrong reasons, um, mainly for exactly what Dan has said. It, it's relevant to today, and I don't, I don't want to. Podcasts shouldn't be. It's hard not to be political once you watch something. The only thing that you take after watching the film is, you know, we can change. I can change something. Then it's, it's done its job. And that that could be small. That could be something. It is a film that packs a punch. It's got a message. Sure. There's like I said. There's little things which annoyed me. Yeah. Well, god damn it. There's loads of things. You know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not about to fall out of the film. Would I recommend it? Yeah, I would. I would. Um, would I re- recommend it to uh, some incredibly right wing conservatives? Probably not. I think it's more of a left leaning film. Um, there's you know there's genuine joy in parts of this film, and there's also genuine despair. Uh, I guess the world is a uh, a mix of uh, good and bad, and this film this film portrays it. It's you know go go and watch the film. Stop listening to no, don't stop listening to this. Wait a while, then stop. Listening. Come to the end of this podcast. Yeah. Wait, wait until the end. Yeah, wait until the end where we get all our plugs out. You can follow Daryl and follow me, follow Dan, all that stuff, follow the network, all that fun stuff, and then do what Daryl's going to tell you here in a second. The film, it's it's good, and if you can't watch the film, or if you, you know for whatever reason. Or if you're passing a comic book store, pick it up off the shelf. Have a look through it. Yeah. And just remember, yeah, 
to, for, for, for it all to get better, that, that, that's going to take you, and that's going to take me, and that's going to take Dan. If you want, and that's the point of this film, then things can be better. It was all of us. Yeah, I've got all schmaltzy. And with that, we will be right back. Hello, everyone. I'm John, host of the new podcast, Hot Takes and Beer Breaks, where I'm joined by two of my best friends, Justin and Jason, to give our hottest takes on current events, entertainment, movies, and sports, all while going on wild tangents, making cheesy puns, and having a good laugh. Listen to us wherever you get your podcast, and find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Hot Takes and Beer Breaks, where we have some hot takes, but more beer breaks. All right, we are back, and this is the host choice segment. And looking at all of these, there are, I got a couple options as to what I would do, but I think I'm going to go with, I think what is turning out to be old reliable here on, on the show. And that is cast the remake where we're going to go through, we'll each pick a few people, I guess, you know, to who we would think could play in a updated version of V for Vendetta. Um, I'll give you guys a moment to think about this. Um, while I go with, I think, probably the easiest one um, uh, for this. And, and, and I'm actually going to flip it a little bit here. Because if you look at, like, with how we talked about earlier, where uh, Natalie Portman, where she had some name recognition, I think Hugo Weaving was the bigger name out of the two. I'm going to flip it. And I say you put, I would put a lesser known actor in the V role and a, a, a more known actor or actress in the an Evie role um, in here. This is me stalling while I try to come up with an actress as to who I think would be that, you know, well-named, you know, well-named person. Uh, but if any of you guys have one, like, yeah, jump I in. Do. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Evie Hammond, it's got to be Amy Pond. Ooh, Karen Gillan. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's that's I, a great one. You know, or, I, or, I was or, thinking, I was thinking a little younger, um, not too much younger, but I was thinking a, uh, a, a Sophie Turner myself, um, just because the later Game of Thrones seasons actually showed that she has depth much more <laughs> than I ever thought. Uh, and but no, that's yeah. I um, yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking now because he hit it right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. That's I mean I I agree with on both parts. You know, you, you could do a Sophie Turner, or you could do a a, a Karen Gillan. Um, you know Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy to name her other big role. Um, gosh, man, I'm trying to think who who I would have for V in there because I agree with both of those roles. Uh, nobody, J- just give me a stunt double. <laughs> give me a stunt. No, I'm okay. serious. Give me, give me a stunt double with a flat, normal, uh, generic sort of voice that lilts about the island and just doesn't really land anywhere. Or hell, give me a give me a northern V. We can do like a um. Uh, we can do like a ninth doctor and all plants have a north. Ninth doctor, so that's uh, Eccleston, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. It's just his it's his his quote always stuck. Actually, there you go. And I'm you know, you know, I I was making a joke, but yeah. No. There we go. Let's make let's make this the doc the Doctor Who remake of V. No. <laughs> <laughs> it works it works perfectly because we have a guy who used to host a podcast about Doctor Who. <laughs> um I see what you mean. I, I, I like where you're going there, Dan. However, if you had to have a name, yeah, because they, they had to have a name. If they, mm. if they had to, who would you go? Uh, I've, I've, I've got one. I, I have one. I have one, and I'm torn between whether I want him as, uh, as um, 
if we're going to keep the name from the film uh, Sutler or as V, and that's Idris Elba. Snap. Absolutely bang on. That is exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> bang I on. mean, I've, I'm in the camp of people that was, uh, was rooting for Idris Elba to succeed Daniel Craig as James Bond. So um, I, I've, been, I've been flying the Idris Elba flag for a while now. And I think I watched, he could do Ragnarok. that. I watched Ragnarok the other day, and in that Heimdall, he's just, oh, I'm just, oh, dude, you have got some chops on you. You are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think Idris Elba would be uh, would be an absolutely uh, solid, solid, solid get. And I'll tell you, because I'm I'm just running through in my head a list of every British man over the age of 45 that I can think of put in the uh the high chancellor subtler role and i think i landed on it mentally and i think i'm going to say uh jason isaacs for those of you uh out there in podcast land who may not be entirely familiar with jason isaacs that's a uh, lucius malfoy um who i've been legitimately in awe of as a performer since the patriot uh he was such a good bad guy in that movie such a good bad guy in in Harry Potter, and the man can he can shut up an entire room by barely whispering. I'll give you that one, and, I, and I, it's hard to say this because I do like the the Idris Elba. If we have to go for a name for V, you know, or I should say a well known name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna give one counter to that though. Okay. Um, because he is still well known, but might not be well known here in America. Um, or he might. Um, and it's mainly because I know he can get to this type of voice but his normal voice would not be this richard iowati uh for v and, and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you guys why not and not his normal you know more moss from it crowd uh voice because that would just turn this into a comedy mm-hmm. <laughs> um but he has a serious voice that he can break into when, mm-hmm. uh, when needed i think would would could still give this character and probably not blow the budget by having Sophie Turner or Karen Gillan and Idris Elba, you know, you know, one of the two girls there for Evie and Idris Elba, I think that might blow our budget here, maybe. <laughs> um, look at me, I'm like, we're, we're being serious about this. Like, yeah, I know he'd be too expensive. Um, and, and it's, it, I, I don't know who I would put in for the other roles in here, to be honest. So I, I do have one more, I have one Go more suggestion, it. but it might be a bit much, and that would be for Dietrich, uh, uh-huh. Alan, Alan Cumming. I could see Alan Cumming. Another queer yep. performer playing that role, um, you know, somebody with a great performing arts, uh, you know, entirety, you know, his, his entire uh, resume is, is amazing. He's a great performer and he's he's done, you know, serious. He's done comedy. He's done whatever else. Play. What about what about Kelsey Grammer? Uh, I have some personal issues with Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> well, are you putting it? <laughs> yeah, but I would say Kelsey Grammer might be might be another good choice, you know. It's the British what about, thing. What, what about one of the McGann brothers? Okay. No, it's, it's not just about Doctor Who, but, but the, the both McGann brothers, fantastic actors, huge, massive range. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. either one of them. I mean, I be. do love Paul McGann in With Nell and I. So I, I, I give you, I'll give you that one. Um, yeah. Uh, I, also, he, he needs to be in more films. He's awesome. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> No, I'll give you that one because I mean he's wow he's in Luther. Sorry, uh, no, I, I'll give you that one. I mean these are all great choices here, in all honesty. You know, I mean, it's just me as we're talking like okay, hold on, we're trying to figure out 
again, going more British, but it's like, all right, I, I know more people by their character names and the things that they've done <laughs> than their actual ones. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got my phone out and I'm having to, you know, if if I haven't if I've got a name under a picture, I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm also doing a little. Well, and that's where, like, and that's where I brought up because when you mentioned Alan Cummings, you know, for uh for Dietrich, and, and I I sort of countered with Kelsey Grammer. I mean, I looked at that because of the fact that you know you want to talk about someone who's had hardships. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had hardships that he can you know bring into his roles. He's you know I freaking loved him as Beast in X Men. Um, you know, so I mean, I could easily see that you know him taking this role and you know bringing something out of it. Um, any other any other things you can think of? Any other people you think you could cast in this remake that we're doing? No people, but uh, something I would specifically like to like point out is like if you're going to redo that, you also need somebody with the kind of I don't know hard nosed gravitas that Stephen Ray brought to Finch because like that's a that's a hard role. If if we you know if we take the film as the and a little bit differently from the book, but um, the that's a hard role, right? You you got to be the guy who, who flips, right? Like you got to be the guy who sees what you know what's really going on and decides enough is enough, and that takes a lot of that takes a lot. <laughs> it's a gravitas thing again. Yeah, and I I think that would be um, you know I don't necessarily know if I can think of someone who is that but i just think like that's the kind of thing you would need to consider very heavily if you were going to recast this we're looking at someone like jason statham <laughs> uh, why not let's just throw it all out put vinnie jones in there <laughs> so, so john hurt's character yeah 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 i've got i've I, I <laughs> that, uh stephen fry stephen fry oh, okay is now old enough and he can do uh Sorry, what's the rating on this uh, this podcast, Gregor? Uh, so we generally go along with the rating of the movie. So because okay. I believe this was an R-rated uh, movie. Well, I've already um, said fuck like four times, so I hope oh, so. Good. Yeah. Oh, no, good. Because yeah. Stephen Fry can act like an absolute bastard. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking, we're talking cruel, intense, twat of the year type of stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I could... And also, let's be honest, we'd all want Stephen Fry in charge of it, so... <laughs> It'll be, be a slightly different film. V would turn up and go, yeah, seems all right to me. <laughs> okay, so, so what I'm getting here is uh, we'll get about halfway through the movie and then he'll be replaced by a five-foot uh, Scandinavian woman? Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> For those of you guys who do not get the joke, that is a joke to QI where he was... Uh, when Stephen uh, Stephen Fry left, he was replaced by Sandy Toxwig, who is like five foot and is from uh, is from Denmark. Still funny though. Oh yeah, I know. It's, it's the, I, I love my joke. I'm like go on. The, the the show's not the same, but she's still funny. Dude, honestly, I love that show with when Phil Jupiter is on. But that's, no, actually, that's Phil, Ju- Phil Jupiter is quite an actor as well. He normally plays serial killer types. He normally plays really damaged people when he does mm-hmm. acting. Um, also, also actors to consider. Um, uh, Nick Frost, when Nick Frost's doing serious stuff, he can be. Quite, yeah, he can, he can be do quite, serious yeah. very well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, t- I tell you, actually, somebody the guy, somebody that comes get to do. Um, we could get to do the uh, the the Dietrich character is a, a, a known for being a television host or at least recently a panel show mock the week, and that's Dara O'Brien. Yeah, I could see because when we were doing that with V when you said V, and I'm like, uh, maybe like you said Northern, I'm like. Could we get Dara? But that would just be too no, rambly. I don't, if, if I, don't, was... I 
don't think you could have an an Irish V. I just don't think <laughs> that would work. No, I don't think you're going to Irish V. Do I think you could do Dietrich because he's a, he's you know he's a television host, right? And uh, Dara, he's he's a good host. And well, you might as well go full on Graham Norton then. <laughs> <laughs> You know, speak of a, a good host, right? Graham Norris is uh, quite the host. Absolutely. See? God yeah. No, it's it's funny. I'm just picturing this. I'm picturing this right now with, with Dario Brian as V. To be like, you know, because he, ta- he gets talking so fast, like like I do. And it's like, and then at the end, he's just like, can we have Evie? <laughs> like, I'm picturing like, like Ed Burns when he does his impression of Dario Brian on Mock the Week. <laughs> Now I just want to go watch more Mock the Week. Oh yeah, I know. It's like, right, when is that coming back? Yeah, oh. that's that's been one of my one of my solaces. Weird political nonsense we've been going through, but we're we're digressing in the last segment, so we should probably wrap this boy up. Yes, yes. So the final thing is uh, rating the movie. Um, I will go last as is, as is my tradition because I sort of double rate it. But basically, this we are going to give you, and in honor of V for Vendetta, we will do the British pound. Um. <laughs> We will give you zero to ten pounds. How much would you pay to see this in a theater today? No, so that's really awkward because because all our cinemas are currently cut price at the moment. It's only a fiver to go to the cinema, <laughs> <laughs> which which incidentally is the is the Roman numeral uh, V five. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> five V. It's all. It's oh no. Um, it's all connected. If I'd seen this film before. Yeah, and and knew that I was going to the cinema to see it, I would pay £3. If it was the first time I was going to see it, I would pay the full £5. But why £3? Why did it lose £2 if I've been doing all this time traveling, going to film, that comes over? Weight Watchers? Right. No. <laughs> no. And this is the scene that annoyed the snot out of me. And you will okay. think this is so insignificant. And that is, we're in V's lair. Yeah? Evie. Uh-huh. Has just got there. V, I can't remember what V is making. He's making something in the kitchen. He's got a smeg fridge. No, 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 no. He would not have a smeg fridge. He really wouldn't. You guys in over over in America, you guys would have smeg fridges. They're not that common over here in the UK. V would not have a bloody smeg fridge. He'd have a Beko or or a Hot Point or something like that. And that that made me. That's what's why I had to pause it and go and make a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to come back to that. So I honestly completely forgot about that. <laughs> and, and, it, and it loses points because of that. Because when you're watching a film, you don't want something to break your concentration. And that just True. smashed it out the window. I was so annoyed. But, and normally I would say that loses, you know, that loses a, a couple of points. But but it did bring it back for, for Eggy in the Basket and the, the V Bloods Battle. Was, it had to lose a point because. It takes an acclaimed work and alters it ever so slightly. And I could never give a film like that full five points. So three three whole British pounds to go and see this film. Okay, so to adjust it to our to our ten our ten pound system that we have here, you, you would say pounds, a six? Okay. Yeah. I'm just double checking because I mean if if Dan breaks out, you know, here and I try to do the average in my head, then it's <laughs> no, gonna be I will, a little... uh... <laughs> I, I'll tell you for for you Americans listening at home, uh, six pound about seven dollars and thirty six cents currently <laughs> at the time of recording. Uh, thank you xe dot com. Um, but I uh, personally, like I said, it holds up. Um, I'm honestly 
more and more mad the more I think about it that this film is still relevant. Uh, it's an absolute recommend in all cases, and I'm going to give it uh, not quite the full six pound. Uh, I'm going to give it a five and a half. Okay, so five and a half out of ten. Yep, yep. It's right. it's it's better than average, but uh, it as has been pointed out, it has issues having a, uh, and is not perfect, but it is societally relevant. Fair enough. I, I'm I'm honestly right about there. Um, so to do to quickly do my other rating system, which Darrell, I think you're, you're still familiar with, it's like where I would watch it. Um, you know, for the first time with today's climate, you know, politically, I would probably I would probably see it in the theaters. In all honesty, which is a, a high rating because my highest rating that I have in that is seeing it at the midnight screening the night it premiered. Um, but you know, especially if you know they were doing the advertising like, oh, here it's you know you know get, get diving into the politics again sort of like that movie the hunt is trying to do but not with the whole we're a comedy we're a satire but it's like here's this thing it's like all right here let's go check this out um but numerically to go to our uh, rating here i would probably say about i'd, pro- I'd probably match daryl with the six it probably would have been higher but yeah there's minor little issues that i had when i watched it that kept it from the full you know the full watch, full points that I would have given it. Um, so I believe averaging it out, that would be what five seventy five ish. Probably close, if not exactly there. Yeah. Um, five or five seventy five in the British pounds, which I don't have XC open, would be whatever American. But we're gonna keep that one there, and I'm gonna make sure if in our chart it stays British pounds. <laughs> five seventy five, just over seven. Just over seven. Se- seven dollars six cents rounded. Is that including tax? Uh, no, we're uh, we're going to assume all, all, all we're, tax we're, we're going we're going the Jimmy Carr route, and we're avoiding taxes. Gregor, <laughs> that joke is almost a decade old. He makes it himself, dude. It's still made on every show that he's on. It is still made. It is still a relevant joke. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true. I do watch the Big Fat Quiz every year, and he does mention it every year, but. And they still make it on uh, uh, eight out of ten cats. They'll make it sometimes on cats does countdown. Uh, this isn't me trying to do like a you know dick measuring contest of you know I, I watch the most British stuff here. When you don't. especially no you, no, you don't. no, you don't, Gregor. Yeah. No, I don't because <laughs> I promise you that. I really promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Uh, you, you will lose. No, I know I will because there's a person I'm on this recording who lives in Britain. So technically, everything he watches is British TV. A lot of the things that you watch, which he thinks American TV is British TV. True. And, and yeah, yes, you've got me on that one in the past, too. That's why I'm not going down that trail. <laughs> All right, fine. Look, we know we took... Uh, we know we took... Um, the Office. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, no Deal, you got that as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got did did we get that from you guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was an end of all. An end of all. We even we even tried stealing Graham Norton. It didn't work. Yep, I remember that. I remember that from. Gosh, I forget what the name of the show was. But anyways, we should probably wrap up. Yeah. Um, and then we can do this after. Uh, so Excellent. closing remarks. Uh, uh, before I do all the whole spiel here, Daryl, what do you want to plug? I've um, got absolutely nothing to plug whatsoever because um, I don't really get the time to to sit around a computer anymore. And if I did, I wouldn't have the time to edit. So uh, I've got nothing to plug. Although um, I, I will, I will say, uh, you know, uh, after you've listened to this podcast, if you could go and wash your hands. Yes. Stop your touching hands. your face. Yeah, just leave your face alone, you freaks. 
There you go, Gregor. That's what I've got to plug. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh when this, because I think this is re- going to be released in a month or so, <laughs> and everything's died down. It's still going to be relevant. <laughs> wash your hands, wash your face, don't touch your face. Well, I mean, I mean that's, just, that's just common sense. It's life advice. Yeah. Uh, Dan, where can people find you? www.supraliminal.com, where you can find the word super. Next one, you can find me at Champ Blankman, all one word, on Twitter. Come find me there. Yell at me about my opinions. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. I like it either way. Uh, do that one more time because it sort of chopped out with the uh, with the audio. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure Craig recorded it. I'll start from the beginning. www.superliminalfilms.com. Superliminalfilms. Find me. Why the hell is it doing that? It didn't. Oh, it's doing it on my end. That's me. I okay. That my headphones. No, nope, like it's neither of you. The problem is with. Me. Uh, so here's what I'm going to say. If you type it in the chat, Dan, I'll read it out for you. I'm going to see if I can get, uh, this. I'll do it. Okay. Oh, I I see what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I was, I was testing to make sure that it was actually, God, why does it keep fucking cutting off? Okay. Let me try it again. If you have to just switch to push the talk and then hold down the talk button. Yeah. I need to do that real quick. Please stand by editor. Edit this out. www.superliminalfilms.com. Anywhere you can find the words superliminal and films next to each other, you can find me. Also at Champ Blankman, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. Come tell me I'm right. Come tell me I'm wrong. I like it either way. Nice. And you can find me, uh, basically, um, Else Nerds is the other show that I do. Um, you can find me on the social network stuff, at, usually at that Gregor or Gregor1942, uh, at places where I couldn't change the URL. Um, but yeah, come find me on Bite. I didn't put, po- I haven't posted anything on there, but I'm on Bite. Um, the final thing is, yeah, it's, I've, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I've seen some people on there and it's really good content. Um, and I've seen, uh, I'm just glad we're done with the whole, hey, you TikTokers, fuck off, sort of deal. Sorry, edit that part out too. Um, right, closing remarks for the show. Be sure to raise, or subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate that. We enjoy that very much. It helps us, it helps us, uh, get out to more people on wherever the podcast that you're listening to us of choice is. Um, I don't know the whole list, but I know it's basically everywhere. Um, you can email us if you have suggestions for shows, for movies that we should include here, or guests, or you know, you want to come on yourself. You can email us at oraclepodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it. You can check out this and other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcast.com. Our theme is performed by Eric Hunt. And we thank we thank our broadcasting partners over at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcast. You can find out more about them at ageofradio.org and gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Final thing to be said is what I said at the beginning. We we say all this stuff of of oh you haven't seen this in good fun. So don't think we are being serious when we are when, when we come off a little bit dickish, a little bit you know mean spirited because it's all in, it's all in good fun. We all have holes. Um, be kind to each other. Wash your hands. Quit touching your face. Uh, be kind to each other. We'll see you guys next time. Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com.